Well, good morning. Good to see everyone again this week. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 121. While you're turning, if you're a baseball fan and you watch Major League Baseball, almost all of the players have walk-up music, right? They pick a song that they like before they come to bat, and it kind of pumps them up and everything. That song that we just sang is my walk-up music. I absolutely love that song. That's been my favorite song ever since it came out. And I just leaned over to my wife, and I said to her in her ear, remember, when I croak, I want this song played at my funeral. The Lord is our salvation. We're gathered here today as the saints of God here in this local assembly because the Lord is our salvation. We're continuing on, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, we're continuing on in our Summer in the Psalm series. And this morning we want to examine this psalm, Psalm 121. And I've entitled the message, Keep Looking Up. Keep Looking looking up. And you'll see why I've entitled it that way as we work our way through it. Christians are to look up. We considered a couple weeks back the laser focus that we as Christians are to have as we sort of briefly examined Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 where the writer of Hebrews tells believers that we are to to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. As we begin today, where are your eyes fixed? Where is your gaze fixed upon? Where does your hope lie? Where do you get your strength to run the race of the Christian life? This is essentially what this psalm is all about. One of my favorite psalms in the Psalter. 150 psalms. I love Psalm 100. I've preached on it a time or two over the years. I love Psalm 100, but Psalm 121 is probably a close second. For us to understand what the psalmist is saying here, we have to understand the historical background that leads up to the writing of this song of ascent. Now, I talked a little bit about what a song of ascent is. There's 15 songs of ascent Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, those 15 psalms, fairly short in nature, but these are songs that were sung by those who were going to Jerusalem, ascending the great mountain of Jerusalem to go for the three major feasts that folks would gather in Jerusalem, the holy city, every single year. So we have to start to think a little bit more like those who are traveling, okay? Now, we travel, we go to different places, we take our car, we pack our luggage, we we, uh, even have luggage racks on top of our car. We can take just about anything we want on our trip, right? Not so with these people. They would travel very minimalistically. They're traveling from all over the Middle East, and they are traversing the hills and the mountains, the deep valleys, the peaks, as they're heading to the holy city. They may have on some sandals. They may be barefoot. It's tough terrain as they navigate their way to the holy city, Jerusalem. And so that is at the heart of what 
the psalmist is trying to share with us as they are singing this song, as they're getting closer to the city of Jerusalem. Some have come from dozens of miles, some maybe a hundred miles or more to try to get there because they want to worship the one true living God. We sometimes can't make it to church if we have this or that or whatever. These people would travel for days, some of them weeks, just to be there to worship the one true holy God of the universe. And so we must think like travelers today. We must think like pilgrims today. Okay, with that in mind, and, and they didn't have paved roads, they didn't have sidewalks, they had very narrow paths that they would navigate through as they would walk all their way to Jerusalem. No GPS, no navigational system, right? I mean, this is as primitive as you can get. But their focus was like what we described earlier, a laser focus on where they're going, And so when we think about this, we're all in a journey, right? The the writer of Hebrews calls it the race of the Christian life. The psalmist has seemed to be saying more about this journey that we are on as those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. There's a journey that all of us are on in this life. And, And our journeys are not always the same, right? Now, we gather here on a Sunday morning, and all of us have in common, at least most of us have in common, that Christ has saved us from our sin. And that's a great commonality to have. And that's what we enjoy together as a local church, that we assemble together as the saints of God to be able to proclaim the riches of of Jesus Christ and his glory. And we do that together. And we were singing that song out. The volume went up when we sang that last song. Because our salvation is in the Lord. He is the Lord of our salvation. This is what draws us together. So we're all on a journey, okay? These songs of ascent were written for those who are on a journey. A journey to the holy city of Jerusalem. Some traveled quite a distance. And so with that in mind... As we think about this question, where does our strength come from to run the race of the Christian life? Let's read Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you all from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. And so we we just have eight verses here to navigate through this morning. And and as we look at these eight verses, we're going to find five reassuring realities for the Christian. Five reassuring realities for the Christian as we go through the journey of the Christian life. And first we see here in verse 1, in the first part of verse 2, we see here that the Lord is our 
helper. <laughs> He's our helper. Look at verse 1 again. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is our helper. And so, as we looked at a couple of the earlier songs of Ascent, we've already had this visual, right, where they are looking out in anticipation for their arrival to the holy city. So they're looking out at the city of Jerusalem. But here, we also have the visual that they are looking up, even beyond the mountains, Beyond the mountains of Jerusalem, the faithful followers of Yahweh looked up to the Lord. The imagery that we have here is one of weakness and reliance. So the journey's tough. The journey's hard. My dad used to say, anything worth doing is going to be difficult. And I've thought of that my whole life. You know, we're not promised an easy life. We're not promised... um, that things will go according to our plan in this life. We're not promised that things will go smoothly, that all of the relationships that we have will, will make it to the end. We're just not promised any of those kinds of things. And so because there are twists in the road, there's potholes on the path, there's rocks, there's all kinds of different things, we are weak and we must rely upon the Lord. This is a reminder here as we begin. It's a reminder of our, our own human inadequacies and, and our frailties. Uh, it's a reminder that we all need help. We all need help. When our son Matt was a little toddler, he, he probably, I'm sure he doesn't remember this, but we drove out from our home in Illinois to New Jersey to see my sister and her husband, and they were like an hour or so from the city, from New York City. So Kathy and I had never been there, and so we thought, we're going we're to drive uh, over to the, the city and take it all in. This is before uh, GPS. This is before all the other navigational devices. So we, drop, we drive right into the heart of New York City. We got lost immediately. I have no idea which way north is, south is, east is, west is. All I can see are these giant tall buildings, and it's all concrete. I have no idea where we're at. And so New York City is not a small place. We're driving around. We're trying to figure out where we're at. There are things that I would like to see. There's things that we had on our list that we wanted to see, but we have no idea how to get there. We have no GPS. We have no way to know where where we're going. How naive of us to drive Uh, country bumpkins from Illinois, to drive into the heart of New York City, not knowing where we're going. And that's exactly what we did. So we drove around for hours, hours. Now, the fun part of it was I would see something and I would say, Kathy, there's the downtown athletic club. That's where they give away the Heisman Trophy. And so I'd pull over to the side, I'd get out, take my camera, and I'd take a picture of the downtown athletic club. Most of you could care less about the Heisman Trophy, but for me, that was kind of a cool thing. We would see other things, these other landmarks, and and we would get out and we would take pictures. We're still lost. We still have absolutely no idea where we're at. And so our gas gauge is going down, and 
we're starting to panic a little bit because we have no idea where we're at. We have no idea how to get back to New Jersey. Oh, we went through the, we went through the Lincoln Tunnel. We went over the Brooklyn Bridge. I mean, all these famous places, we were there. I think I went over the Brooklyn Bridge two or three times. <laughs> we have no idea where we're at. This is before I knew Pastor Flip. He could have guided me through. We're lost. So we pull up to a stoplight. We're on one of the side streets, by the way. We pull up to the stoplight. Again, our gas gauge is going down and down and down. Kathy decides, without mentioning it to me, she decides that she's going to get out of the car and she's going to go up to the car in front of us and knock on the window. I'm thinking, this is New York City. These people, you don't do that in New York City. So I watched this happen. She gets out of the car. She goes up. It was a lady driving the car. It spooks the lady. She's, she's nervous as all get out. Kathy's knocking on the window going, we need help. We need help. I think the lady might have just sped through this, the, the red light. But I thought of that when I read this this week. In our desperation, in our need of help, we tried to turn to this lady that was in front of us. Fortunately, I said, Kathy, look, she has a New Jersey license plate. So we'll just follow her. It worked. It worked. Took us right back to where we were with with my sister. We need help. We all need help in our journey, right? If you can't acknowledge that you need help in your journey, there's something really wrong in your life. The Christian life is a life of dependence and reliance upon God, our helper, right? There's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for we can pull up our bootstraps and get it done. No, we rely upon our God. We all need help in our journey. And where does our help come from? The psalmist says it comes from the Lord. Again, the word Lord here is the Hebrew word Yahweh, and it means the supreme self-existent one. We, we often don't think of the Lord in these terms, but he is our helper. He is our helper. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10 says this, "...because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations..." For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now let me just say, there's all kinds of theories about what Paul's talking about here, thorn in the flesh. Some say uh, it was an eyesight problem, that he had poor eyesight, and so this was his thorn in the flesh. Uh, some say that it was a recurring dream or recurring nightmare at night where all of the times that he persecuted Christians kept coming back to his mind over and over and over again. We're not told in Scripture what his thorn in the flesh is, but look what he wanted to do. He said, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. He begged the Lord three times, God, take it away. Please take it away. And the Lord said to him, Paul? Church members, Grace Life Church, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we realize we need help, we are at our strongest because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Philippians 4.13. We are all weak, but relying and depending upon Christ and the strength that he supplies, we can not only endure, but we can thrive in the Christian life. The second reassuring reality that we find here in our text is that the Lord is our maker. The Lord is our maker. Look at the second part of verse 2, who made heaven and earth. And this is so foundational, and we may skip over it, but this is so foundational because it establishes the reason why we are always to look up to him, because he is our maker. We exist because God made us. Just flip back a few pages to Psalm chapter uh, 100. I mentioned it earlier, one of my favorite psalms. Look at verse 3, Psalm 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Again, we might skip over a little phrase here in this verse where it says, it is he who made us, but the phrase we might skip over, not give a whole lot of credence to, is this idea, and not we ourselves. In other words, God created us, he made us, we didn't make ourselves. And so where do folks go off the rails? Folks go off the rails when they live like they made themselves, that there's no one to answer to. You see, this goes back to the Lord is our helper because we are frail, we are weak. The journey is long, the journey is hard. We need help. He is our helper. We turn to him because he is our, our maker. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is only one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things, and we exist for him And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. And so not only are we to look up to him because he's our maker, but by doing so, we acknowledge that we exist for him and through him. And this psalm is a reminder that we can so easily develop a wrong set of priorities. You see, as long as we realize we're weak, as long as we realize that we're dependent, as long as we realize that we need the Lord's help, we need his guidance throughout our lives that we get from his holy word, we're on the right path. Be on guard so as not to fall into the trap because I think it happens subtly. We can so easily make life all about us, right? We, we do this. Our needs, our feelings, our expectations, all driven by our pride. 
but our lives are not about us. Our lives are not about us. We exist to bring glory to God because he's our maker. And if that isn't enough, that the Lord is our maker, here we find the third reassuring reality that he is also our keeper. Back in Psalm 121, verse 3, the Lord is our keeper. Verse 3, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. So not only did he make us, he keeps us. And we notice here first that that one of the ways he keeps us is he will not allow our feet to slip, right? So understanding the historical context in which this is written, this makes all the difference in the world, right? They're on a journey to the holy city, Jerusalem, they're walking on rocks. They're working their way through the woods. They're, they're going through valleys, the desert. It's hot. There's all kinds of things in the way. But the Lord's not going to allow our, our feet to slip. Things, I think, and I think you think as well, are getting pretty slippery out there these days. Look around. I mean, things are getting pretty slippery. It's almost like, you know, in the winter, they, they, I never heard of this term when I was a kid, but black ice, where things ice over and you can't tell it's icy. I think that's the world we live in. We're kind of used to taking things for granted. You can't do that anymore. It's like black ice. It's a slippery culture that we live in. But that's just a reminder that we need the helper. We need our maker. He is our keeper. He will keep our feet on solid ground. Let's go to the New Testament and look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This idea of maintaining a firm footing or standing firm, it's a repeated theme in Scripture. I, I like imagery. I really love imagery. Like when I mentioned earlier about the, the race of the Christian life, I can understand that. I, I, I know that. It takes endurance to run the race, right? So we know these people are singing the song as they're, as they're looking uh, to the holy city, Jerusalem, and their feet could slip out from underneath them. It's a practical thing and a spiritual thing at the same time. And the Bible talks a lot about Christians standing firm, not in our own devices, not in our own strength, but we are to stand firm by looking to the Lord and trusting him that he will not allow our feet to slip or be moved. Look at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. 
Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Three times, Paul says that we as God's people are to stand firm. We're to stand firm. Verse 11, verse 13, again in verse 14. So I want to spend a little bit of time with you this morning on this standing, our stand as Christians. And so if you're taking notes, let me give you at least seven different instances from the pen of the Apostle Paul in his epistles that he mentions about our standing firm are standing firm. First, in Romans 5 and verse 2, we find that we are to stand in grace. We're to stand in grace. Verse 2 of chapter 5 of Romans says, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Our standing with the Lord, is all because of grace. It's not because of works. It's not because of our performance. It's not because we have done certain things to please God. We are sinners in need of a Savior. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to bring any merit before God. That's what grace means. It's the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited means you can't merit it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to receive the grace of God. It is freely given by God, sovereignly given. His grace is what guides us. His grace is what we stand on in this life. It's all about him and his grace. Secondly, we stand in the gospel. We stand in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1 says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand. We have no standing apart from the amazing grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no standing. We're going to live a certain amount of time on this earth. We're going to die and boom. That's it. Our soul will either be forever in glory with Christ or it'll be in a real place called hell. We stand in the gospel. We're here today, all of us are here today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of it. Sinners, guys and gals that have sinned grievously against the Lord. And God saved us from that. He saved us from the penalty of that. It's his grace, but we stand in the gospel. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not care that it's going to offend people. The gospel is offensive because it starts with the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, right? I mean, it's offensive. You go to somebody on the streets, you need Christ. You're a sinner. Well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look, We are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need God. He's holy and righteous. 
He provided a way of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to die in the place of sinners. And by placing your faith and trust in him and in him alone, the risen Savior, you can have eternal life. You cannot merit your own salvation. You can't work your way to God. You're a sinner. It's offensive. There's a beauty in the gospel, though, isn't there? There's a beauty in it because it's where we started. Because we understand our dependence upon God. We understand that we must rely upon God. Right? We're sinners. You know the thing that bothers me the most about my own self in my own life, and I'm sure you can relate, we've been saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from even the presence of sin in our lives. We still do it. Can you imagine how disgusting that must be to God? Now, he's forgiven us of our sin, past, present, and future. He's not going to hold us accountable. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're turning secure. Nobody can snatch us out of his hand. We have been given self. We take it for granted. I think we take it for granted. Well, it's not going to be that bad. I can drop a little lie. It's, you know, it's just a little lie. We can cheat at work. We can take some stuff from the storage room. We can fudge on our time cards. It, you know, everyone's doing it. And so the the thing that resonates with me as we stand in grace, as we stand in the gospel, it's that we've been forgiven of our sin, undeserved, right? We've received the unmerited grace of God, and we still sin, We still are selfish. We're not as dependent as we need to be. We're not as reliant upon God as we need to be. Aren't you glad that God God forgives us? Hey, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we stand in grace. We stand in the gospel. And third, we stand in strength. We stand in strength. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Act like men and be strong. We're not to be wimpy Christians. We stand in grace. We stand in the gospel. We stand in strength because of what God has done for us. Fourth, we stand in faith. We stand in faith. 2 Corinthians one twenty four says, not that we domineer over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that we can't boast about it. God has gifted us the faith to believe, the grace to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And so we stand in grace. We stand in the gospel. We stand in strength. We stand in faith. And fifth, we stand in freedom. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He's talking about the law. He's talking about being enslaved to the law. 
right? We have a freedom in Christ. You notice in the New Testament, we don't have all of the same kinds of laws that they had to follow in the Old Testament. Why? Because we stand in grace. We have a liberty, a Christian liberty, but we're not to use that liberty selfishly. Because Scripture says that if, if, if our brother, if we do something that causes our brother to stumble, we're held accountable for that. And so there's, there's this dependence, this reliance upon the Lord. There's this liberty that we've been given, this freedom that we've been given in the Christian life. We're not subject to all these different rules. God is concerned about our heart. But with that, we have to be careful how we live because our lives affect other people. Sixth, we stand in unity. Philippians 1.27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There is so much division today in our world. Everywhere you turn. How would you like to be the president? 50% of the people hate your guts when you walk into the office. The governor. You can't do anything right. Most people today in leadership are begging for unity in the workplace, in their families, in the church. We're to be people that stand firm together in one spirit. Why? Because we have one common goal. It's not about us. It's all about him. See, when we make it about us, now we got problems. We got all kinds of problems because this didn't go the way that I wanted it to go, so I'm digging my heels in. I'm going to dig my heels in. How dare you? How dare you say that? How dare you do that? It's not about us. It's about him. So how are we unified as a body of Christ? We're unified in him because his desires far exceed our desires. Look, if if things don't go exactly the way we want them to go, okay. What's the greater good? Unity in the church or me getting my way? What's the greater good? Unity, standing firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Don't let your attention be diverted from the goal. The goal is to strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's why there are churches. Imperfect people like us, all gathered together, imperfectly gathered together. But it ain't about us. It's all about him. So we stand in unity Seventh, we stand in the Lord. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. We stand together in unity in the Lord. What do we have in common? We're in the Lord. Why do we exist? Because of the Lord. Let me add another one. Number eight. You can add this on. I found it after I made the seven. I I like it, though. We stand in the will of God. 
We stand in the will of God. Colossians 4.12 says, we stand in the will of God. Epaphras, who is one of your own, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, always striving earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So whose will are we to do? Not our own, but the Lord's will. How do we know what we're to do in this life? How do we know how we're to live? Well, 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness in the Word. How do you live a godly life in Christ Jesus in this world that we live in, where there's black ice everywhere? How do we live? How do we know how to live? We know how to live because God's given us everything we need to know about how to please Him right here in His Word. And yet... Even Christians are looking in all kinds of different places for how to live their lives. Seeking advice from ungodly people, and yet we have the revealed word of God, everything we need for life and godliness, why are we looking in other places? So aren't you glad that the Lord is our keeper? In other words, God is not some distant creator. He's intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. He didn't just create us and then leave us to our own devices. He keeps us. He sustains us. But at the same time, we are called to do something. We are called to stand in him. This is the first of six times in this short psalm that the Hebrew word shamar is mentioned. It's translated keeps, preserved, protected. The psalmist says here that our maker doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. Now, I've got to be honest with you. The older that I have gotten, there are certain parts of my day when I seem to get really tired. And when I am tired, I am not at my best. If I have to study during a certain part of the day, I'm just not, I'm not with it. I'm just, my mind is not as sharp. Uh, I don't know how sharp my mind is in the mornings, but that's when it's at the sharpest for me. So my mind is, is sharpest in the morning. So that's when I study. That's when I write. But God doesn't sleep, and he never gets tired. He's accessible 24-7, 365 days a year. That gives me great comfort. If you are in bed at night and are unsettled about something, you don't have to worry about waiting until the morning to talk to him. He's not asleep. He's wide awake. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's our maker. He's also our keeper. He not only provides us with salvation from our sin, but he keeps us saved by his power. He is the creator and sustainer, the one who holds all things together by his power. Hebrews 1.3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. That gives me comfort. You know why I like Psalm 121 so much? Because of the encouragement of it. It's such an encouraging psalm. So the Lord is our helper. He's our maker. He's our keeper. And now fourth, the fourth reassuring reality is that the Lord is our protector. The Lord is our 
protector. Look at the second part of verse 5. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. The Lord will protect you from all evil. I, I haven't looked at the stats. Some of you may have, but it seems like this has been a pretty hot summer. And we haven't had a lot of rain at all in our neighborhood uh, in quite some time. It sprinkled the other day when I think north of us was getting pounded. We didn't get hardly anything. So if you look at my yard, it's pretty brown. In fact, I went out there yesterday and I was walking and the grass is crunching under my feet. I mean, it's pretty bad. The sun and the heat has beat down my yard. The only areas that are still green are the areas that are under the shade tree. And this is the imagery that we have here from our text. Day or night, our God provides that much-needed protective shade from evil. God is the protector of Israel. He is our protector too. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, what the psalmist really means, though in figurative language, is that nothing either of the day or night can harm us if God is keeping guard. God is our covering against every calamity. He is our shade against the visible perils of the day as well as the hidden perils of the night. And this has given me great comfort in the ministry. You know, I, I think we sometimes forget that we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We have enemies. Satan hates us. His demons hate us. They want to bring us down. They'd love to bring our church down. They'd love to affect us in a harmful way. But the Lord is our shade. He's going to protect us if we're walking with him. Because the Lord doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber. He provides 24-hour, around-the-clock protection for his people. And then fifth and finally, we find here as we close out Psalm 121, that the Lord is our defender. He's our helper. He's our maker. He's our keeper. He's our protector. And then he finishes up this encouraging psalm by letting us know that he is our defender. Second part of verse 7, he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you, you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forever. So the Lord is our guardian. He's our defender. He's the keeper of our soul. No one can snatch us out of his hand. And as we considered last week, our soul's eternal inheritance is protected by the power of God. But notice that he's our perpetual defender. It doesn't matter if we are coming or going, it says here. He is there to defend us. And the psalmist says here that there is no time limit on his defense because it says it's from now to forever. Now, I've made it no secret. I'm pretty transparent. I've made it no secret that I love to shop at Sunset Outlet in Lebanon. In fact, I was just there the other day, I was browsing around, and I walked up on these two older ladies. Now, this one lady was very old, she was very feeble. She says to the younger gal, not that much younger, but says to the younger gal that was with her, she says, I want to get some pretzels. She said it just like that, too, because I think her hearing wasn't all that good. So that's how I heard that she said that. I want to get some pretzels. So anything I can do for my fellow Sunset Outletters, I said to the older lady in a loud voice that I had just gotten 10 small bags of pretzels for a dollar on the other side of the store. 
Ooh, that really perked her up. She told the other lady that was with her, she goes, that's what I want. So the other lady, you know, there's always these kind of people. Tries to throw cold water on my suggestion. She says, did you check the expiration date on those? I said, nope. I could care, <laughs> I could care less. They're pretzels. How bad can they get? <laughs> I was thinking later that afternoon, it's so funny. I, I was thinking later that afternoon that, that everything that we can see has an expiration date. Have you ever thought about that? Everything's temporal, right? In fact, Scripture tells us that one day it's all going to burn up. It's all going to burn up. And God will institute new heavens and a new earth with no taint of sin at all. And so you ask the question, why do we get so wrapped up in ourselves? We're not here for us. We're here to please our maker, our creator, our, our sustainer, our savior, the Lord. This is our mission in life. Why do we get so caught up in the temporal why do we fall into that trap? Why would we as Christians put all of our stock in stuff that's one day going to burn up? I think the answer is, is because we stop looking up. We stop looking up. And Jesus warned against this in his great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. And this is the key to it all. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They're inextricably linked together. He will keep your soul. Our souls will live forever. There's no expiration date on our souls. The Lord will keep our souls. As I said earlier, our soul will either live forever in glory with Christ or will live forever apart from Him in a real place of eternal punishment called hell. The Lord is the defender of the souls who are His. Those folks who have repented of their sin, placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His sacrificial atoning work of the uh, of Jesus, uh, that is the only way of salvation. It's all by God's amazing grace. So, the Lord is our helper. He's our maker. He's our keeper. He's our protector. He's our defender. He's the keeper and guardian of our soul. And I don't know about you, I'm assuming you're right where I'm at on this. That gives me a lot of comfort. I can get through the day, I can get through the week, the month, the year, whatever it is, whatever comes our way, I can get through all that because the Lord is with us. I hope that that is an encouragement. I, I don't know all the intimate details of your life. I have no idea what your journey is looking like right now. It can change so quick, right? It's like the black ice. We can walk up on it and boom, we fall or we slip, right? So, Every day is a, is a part of the journey. We don't know what each day is going to bring, but we do know one thing, that we can rely upon our God to get us through anything and everything in this life. That gives me a lot of comfort. That is a great encouragement 
for me, and that's why I wanted to share this with you today. We need to be reminded who our God is. We need to be reminded of our role in all of this. It's to depend and rely upon Him to make Him famous and not ourselves. Psalm 121. Love it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your amazing grace. Thank You that You have bestowed it upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You that we can call upon You today. Lord, we pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior from sin, that today would be the day that they would come to faith and the only one that can save them. We thank you again for our time of worship today. We thank you for the richness of the songs that we sing. We thank you for the richness of your word that we preach. Lord, we stand in you. We stand in grace. We are undeserving recipients of an amazing gift, this gift of salvation. May we think about that as we go throughout our days. May we live for you. May we be encouraged that you're with us all along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.